The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Does it like you? Sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're podcasters. I received the death sentence in 12 episodes. I'll be careful. You'll be listening to the Dark Times Podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. I am Sam, your favorite mad doctor. And I'm Steven, your favorite Aqualish. Aqualish. <laughs> I believe Wikipedia describes Ponda Baba as an Aqualish thug. Oh, okay. So just because he's Aqualish, he's a thug? To be fair, Wikipedia also describes humans as human thugs, etc. So Okay, on. well that's so it, good. Okay. It's not like a favoritism or anything. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, good. That's good. I'm I'm glad. Um, Sam, I, I think we should just kick it right off and get into some episode feedback here. We Absolutely, got two, Steven. Let's do this. Two two nice sized emails here. One from frequent writer and friend of the show, Zoy Krolik. Steven and Sam. Good episode on inspiration for games. You forgot Traveler. I, Sam, I freaking didn't realize until after the episode was up that I just straight up forgot Traveler. We'll return to Traveler. Don't you worry. <laughs> it has a ton of adventures that are easy to convert to Swissy. I recently run Murder on Arcturus Station for my group. Changed a few things and it worked out great. Heck, many of the ship deck plans work great for Swissy. By the way, The Warriors, you remember, Sam, we were talking about The Warriors, yeah. that movie. The Warriors is based on the novel of the same name by Sol Urich. Cool, cool name. I wish my name was Sol Urich. You'll have to settle for Steven Urich. <laughs> Don't say my last name on the show. <laughs> However, Urich's work is based on the ancient Greek philosopher Xenophon Anabasis, or sorry, Xenophon's Anabasis. Anabasis is Xenophon's autobiographical account of the march of the 10,000 mercenaries through Asia Minor, modern Turkey. Oh, okay, Zoy, like, rock on. That's, <laughs> hell yeah, that's fucking Was cool. Was there a point for mentioning that, Stephen? Does, does Loy, uh I think elaborate? Zoy gets one point here. Oh, oh, are you, oh, I thought you meant, like, a point system. <laughs> sure, um, no, we can give Zoy yeah, a, yeah, there's a, a point. Yeah, there's a point. Zoy continues on the, on the history tangent. So you can use history. I've based some scenarios on World War II history. One example I used was the PQ-17 convoy. Okay, so we started with the 10,000 mercenaries through Asia Minor. Now we're on the PQ-17 convoy. Sam, do you know about convoy PQ-17? I don't. Is this the right place to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> Is this the right uh, venue for this conversation? You know, that's a great that's a great question. It's a really, really sad tragedy that happened during World War Two that is fresh for conversion to your Swissy game table or really any system or, or setting. Oh, is this a little exhausting for you? No, I worked all day. I'm sorry. No, I'm Don't kidding. mention it's that I'm good. yawning. No one can hear it. <laughs> I knew you're going to cut it out anyway. Well, I'm going to keep it in now because we talked about it. It sounds like my pretty good. It sounds like my producer isn't going to let me elaborate on PQ 17 in full, but definitely look at it. Zoy gave me a great keep uh, an eye out on here. the Patreon for the full <laughs> dramatic reading of the PQ 17 disaster. No, that sounds awful. Actually, that sounds. Zoy also wants to know what raise did you give Sam two burritos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Good job on name that NPC or I literally kill you, Steven. I will get your spot one day, winky emoji. I'll try again in the week to let other people have a shot 
Andor is good. I agree with your analysis. The ship in Andor is confirmed to be from before the Clone Wars. In one of my campaigns, the players faced off against a hut, Tarfu the Hut, in order to get the music rights to Figrin Da'an and the modal nodes. <laughs> we Sam and I very much approve of basing an, an adventure around getting music rights. That is the exact kind of shit it's we so love. so great. Bree, it's always sunny in Philadelphia campaign. Always sunny is great. If you've got like more than two scoundrels or nobles, you should go for the always sunny campaign style. They ended up shooting Tarfu with a turbo laser from their ship as they flew away, rolling a crit. Nothing left of Tarfu but a greasy spot. I did give that player a dark side point, though. That's that's justified. And he thought it was worth it. So do I. That's me. So do I. Zoy probably agrees, too. Looking forward to the next episode. Vic. A.K.A. Zloy Krolik. Thank you, Zloy Krolik. We always appreciate when I say it like that. <laughs> Stephen can't read Russian. That's the, the explanation. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Krolik. We always appreciate your input. Looking forward to hearing from you again sometime soon. Um, it's great. Great ideas there, both with the, the I mean, 10,000 mercenaries and PQ-17 convoy. How could you go wrong with campaign inspiration from history? Sam, I know how much you love history. I know one of our play- one of your players is gonna love this segment of the podcast. <laughs> Big history nerd, that one. <laughs> we heard from Gamma Knight, who I think this is their first email, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Good Sunday morning, fellows. Or no, that's good Sunday morning, fellows. I'm a fan of GM Jeff from Rollmongers. Hey, shout out to Rollmongers Podcast Network. They've been fans and friends of us for a good long time. It's been a while since we shouted them out. So go ahead, check on what they're. They do actual play podcasts for, I believe, Pathfinder 2nd Edition and, of course, Star Wars Saga Edition. You can see their stuff on the subreddit feed, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you can. Gamma Knight continues. While I don't play Swissy, I do enjoy listening to his games and others, though I'm mostly a Pathfinder 1E fan. Now that that's out of the way, I actually run a Gamma World 4E 1993 real version mashed with those same PF1E rules. Given that there are very, very few adventures written for my favorite setting, the mutated futuristic Wahoo, I steal constantly from other products and media. You ever hear of Gamma World 4E, Sam? Gamma World's a familiar phrase in the I, tabletop gaming scene. but I've never heard of this. Not specifically a Gamma World 4E. Oh, wow. It was actually published by TSR and then was also picked up by Wizards of the Coast later on. That's fun. Huh. There you go. It's like a science fantasy role play. Oh, okay. There's like a horse and a rocket launcher. I get the vibe here. I get the vibe. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. I I love shit like that. First scenario I ran my current PCs through was a reskin of the first level of the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon, where the PCs had to liberate a stolen lab, a.k.a. Throne, for an ejected android, a.k.a. King. They are currently on their way to a sunken building, a.k.a. any He-Man Journey episode, to loot... (laughs) (laughs) Fucking He-Man... To loot, where they will find a portal to Jupiter's ice moon, a.k.a. Stargate, and will run into Starfinder's alien race contemplatives. Think Mars attacks aliens, but with shriveled bodies and they float. You ever you ever see Mars attacks, Sam? Uh, you know what I haven't seen is that many pop culture references in a single sentence. Yeah, what a what a veritable smorgasbord of, of <laughs> RPG great. and sci-fi storytelling here. That is amazing. So to wrap this up, steal for your games and do it liberally with a dash of high crimes and misdemeanors. The, D- the GM handbook, Steven. Cheat, lie, steal. 
Now, now I like that he specifically mentions high crimes. I've definitely have never done anything for my table that I would categorize as a high crime. And I don't necessarily recommend that anyone else do either, but um, that's great. I think the closest we've gotten to high crime is pirating uh, sounds for your soundboard. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, those were actually put together by the same guy who does the token art for the Starfighters. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of an interesting thing there. Well, let's let's cut right into the meat of the episode, Sam. This is one that I've actually been wanting to do for a good long while. I think this is our earliest note on like, hey, we should do an episode on this. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I definitely wanted to do one at least like this from the very, very beginning. And and here we are. So this is a document, a PDF, if you will, entitled Building Encounters by XP Budget and Saga Edition by John the Nietzsche Roby. Revised on September 25th, 2008, Sam. Oh, yeah. This is a true, true It's a nugget. fine vintage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fine tabletop vintage. Many of you are probably familiar with this document already. It's not hard to find. I don't think it's on the subreddit Sticky, but if you Google, like, Swissy Encounter Builder XP, it's, like, the first PDF result. We'll probably, we'll link it in the description, too. We're going to link in the description as well. Yeah, and I've seen it passed around, like, independent of, of this show and, and my circle, too. I guess this is a read-along. This is a read-along episode, I guess. Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, pull up the document, go through it with us, see what you think, and then, you know, consider this a nice primer for this document. This document is not complicated or or difficult to use at all. There's a bit of fluff here that we kind of cut through, uh, and there's parts of this document that I'd rather leave than take, but it is a fantastic method for demystifying Saga Edition encounter building. Sam, we say it all the time. Building an encounter in Saga Edition is kind of more of an art form than a science. You really got to feel it out. There's several guidelines the game does offer us, but none of them are as specific as this method can be. I wanted to highlight this because I, I want this to be more widespread. I mean, I'm obsessed with Pathfinder 2E's encounter building rules, and these are derived from the very same one. Uh, the Nietzsche here, as we'll go on to refer to him, saw encounter building in Swissy, and then saw encounter building in the likes of Pathfinder and 3.5 edition Dungeons and Dragons, and was like, hey, we can reconcile the best parts of all of these and make something that is usable and fun and easy on the Game Master. Let's get right into it. First thing I want to note about this document is that you've got two sets of charts in here and you got to be really careful because I'm always con I'm just constantly looking at the wrong one. There's a Saga Edition chart and a D&D slash D20 charts. You should only look at the Saga Edition one for Saga Edition purposes. I feel like that's that's pretty easy. Just ignore the D&D charts there unless you need them. Our first step here after a short introduction is to determine the baseline encounter budget. Sam, we'll be building up a pool of what's called XP. You can call it credits. You can call it money. You can call it encounter points, whatever you want. This is a fictional monopoly money that we will be spending to purchase elements of our encounter. You and I decided beforehand that we'll do a level 10 party of four, right? Yeah. Cool. So that's You said you want to do something like a... You know, prequel era. Yeah, yeah. D join us, listeners, as we build this encounter alongside you as we work our way through this document. I'm thinking party of four, level 10, that's a budget of 6,000. I know that because I use my eyeballs. I look at the chart. I go to character level 10. I move to the right. Hey, 6,000. Are we good on reading charts? Awesome. It's going to be important for the rest of this episode. <laughs> well, no, let's break it down. There's columns and rows. And <laughs> Really crucial, you don't mix up columns with rows. 
Great. So I've got my budget, Stephen. What do I do next? You got your budget. And let me tell you, that budget's going to expand. All right. We've we've seen the reports, Sam, your quarterly reports. We like what your department's working on. We're going to expand your budget. No. Step two is to set the final budget by the desired difficulty. Okay. We know what our party's consistent of. And by the way, allied NPCs should count towards your party's budget. Just so you know. We're doing a party of four here. If they have a few mooks that join them along, you should include them as part of your budget calculation. Now on to difficulty. Sam, did you want this to be a very easy encounter? Did you want this to be an easy encounter? How about a standard encounter? What about challenging or hard or even oh. epic? Oh. These, are, these are all of our diff. We have seven difficulty choices here, and each one modifies our budget. Well, I guess it depends on what kind of encounter you want to build, right? Yeah, so in my experience, challenging is like, they mean challenging. Like Pathfinder has the same thing too, where it says challenging encounter or hard encounter. They mean it. I've killed players at my table and I've killed your character <laughs> in a challenging encounter and almost downed like two more. So like personally, you know, we've been running zero distance for many months now and every encounter I've designed has been using these rules. I don't mean to brag, but a few players have approached me and said, hey, Steve, the strength of Zero Distance so far has really been your encounter design. And I say, thank you, dear God, so much. I, I love praise. I can't get <laughs> enough of it. And every single encounter has been done using these rules. The hardest encounters I've thrown your way have been challenging encounters. So I don't really feel comfortable pushing it into hard territory. Maybe for some sort of campaign ending, big, epic, major boss fight. That's when you break out the hard difficulty, which would double your encounter budget. Instead, I think I'm most comfortable at the challenging encounter difficulty, which modifies your budget by one and a half, taking our 6,000 XP budget for a party of four level 10 characters to 9,000 XP. Okay, that's nice. I didn't. Yeah, that's interesting. I like I like how that plays out. You know, we were talking about this before the air and I was like, you know, we always build whenever we build encounters, we always build like a normal encounter. Like there's an objective and stuff like that. And there's usually like a couple mooks, nameless mooks. Let's do a boss encounter, Steven. Yeah, I want a named. Right. I want a dude who's gonna make my my players shit the bed, cry at night. <laughs> you know, they're gonna have nightmares about this guy. Oh, so he's a CT killer. So he's a C <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sam, you're right. This should be a boss fight, and it's gonna be a challenging boss fight because challenging seems challenging enough for my table. Your mileage almost certainly will vary. And please write in if you've ran any hard encounters. I, I kind of want to see what that's like before I actually make my players go through something like that. Yeah, maybe uh, your players are smarter than ours. <laughs> <laughs> and they can better handle the resource management required for a hard encounter. Here's a nugget of wisdom from the Nietzsche himself. It's generally a good idea to include a mixture of encounters in a given adventure. Easy encounters are quick and fun to give the players a sense of accomplishment, but tiresome after two or three. Hard encounters make for good adventure climaxes. Oh, but too many, and the players become frustrated and fearful. Uh, the Nietzsche also bids us to remember that a party's circumstances greatly affect their CL. A party on their fifth encounter without a rest is at a significant disadvantage compared to the one with powered battle armor and rocket launchers. He asks, is the character really as powerful or as weakened as if they had changed a whole level? If the answer is yes... Adjust the budget multiplier for a desired difficulty up or down a row for the purposes of determining your budget. For example, 
A party of fantasy heroes has ridden all night to catch up with slavers that have one of their companions and are fatigued, putting them at minus one persistent step down on the condition track. This effectively makes everyone in the party one level lower, so for a hard encounter, the multiplier should only be 1.5 instead of times two. A lot of words to say. If your party is down in the dumps, adjust your difficulty in your encounter accordingly. That's like Game Mastering 101. Game Mastering 102 is always make sure your party has an out yeah. <laughs> in an encounter. Give, give them an excuse to run away and be cowards. So we're now going to move on to step three, which is purchasing encounter elements from the final budget. This is actually my favorite part of building an encounter this way. It makes me giddy and excited like I'm a kid putting together Legos. Perfect way to hype me up for the encounter. But instead, we have a little bit of a side alley. Sam, if you'd follow me down this little side section here. Okay. This seems This seems safe. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just, you know, this dark. Out, there's no witnesses over here in case you're wondering. Um, okay. I, I just need you to just come come take a look. We're going to talk about something called squads. Whoa, 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 whoa. Squads. Yeah, yeah. I'm opening up my coat here and you can see that there's many different watches and other knockoff merchandise pinned here. But also I'm showing you there's 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 a bunch of super battle droids pinned right here. All together is one single enemy in my in my trench coat here. I'm not wearing anything besides the trench coat, but you can ignore that. Uh, that was important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steven, why would I require a, a bunch of battle droids tied together rather than just single battle droids splattered across the map? Oh, I'm sorry, Sam. I didn't realize that you had all the fucking time in the world to run an initiative track for 13 individual super battle droids when instead you could just put two or three squads on the board instead. Did I say instead twice? You did. I was going to ignore it. <laughs> That's a fair point, Stephen. I didn't think of it that way. So you can create a squad. Squads are a nice layer of abstraction that you can add to any stat block that make them much easier to manage encounters with large numbers of enemies. As your party levels up in Saga Edition, you will find that this is necessary if you want to keep including stormtroopers, battle droids, or low-level thugs in every encounter. How do you make a squad, Sam? Well, if I'm reading this right... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, that was just. I was going to give you the chance to like be swaggy and just know it off the top of your head, but I'm not going to pretend I'm the master GM. I just host the show. (laughs) You know what? That's and that's why they love us, Steven. To create a squad, you have to make the following changes to the statistic block of any character. Statistic block? What are you, a cop? It's stat block. (laughs) Blame it on the wiki. (laughs) (laughs) Increase the increase the character size by. What was that? Statistic block. <laughs> you Sorry. Think got any statistic blocks in here? <laughs> Hello, fellow players. Hello, players. Man. Increase the character size by one category and apply the relevant modifiers. You know, the size category modifiers. Double the character's hit points. Increase the character's damage threshold by 10. Add plus four to all attack rolls as members of the squad are considered to be aiming one another. And increase the CL by two. Oh, okay, cool. And squads themselves have some interesting traits that are uh, definitely should not be forgotten. All melee attacks made by a squad are considered melee area attacks. You hear that, kids? It's a rare, rare instance of a melee area attack. This shit's crazy. That affect all squares within the squad's reach, though a squad can choose not to affect a target with its attacks. All ranged attacks made by a squad are considered to have a one square splash. You've heard it here, folks. They're all splash. If the squad's weapon already has a splash effect, increase that splash radius by one square. 
Should you arm your squad with a splash weapon to be an extra big problem for your players? Absolutely. Area attacks deal plus two die of damage against a squad. That's a good one that I often forget. You guys got a taste of that when you were uh, taking that T4B heavy tank down those the streets of Ryloth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A squad cannot be grabbed or grappled. A squad can make attacks of opportunity against creatures that provoke them, though these attacks of opportunity are not area attacks. That's fair. That's for balancing purposes, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an area attack of opportunity would be nuts. All right. Though it is possible, I think. Anyway, so that was our little squads aside here. Hopefully now you know what a squad is if you didn't already. And it's important because we're going to be buying some squads here when we purchase our encounter elements from the final budget. Encounter elements are creatures, hazards, skill challenges, etc. To keep your encounter exciting, you should avoid using any single element that's greater than plus two your party's level. The niche says that if you have points left over, you should either discard them or purchase one more creature of the next highest allowable CL. Generally, you should not buy more than 10 of any single encounter element in a single encounter, as many low-powered creatures or easy skill checks are not likely to add much to the overall challenge of the encounter's level. All right, Sam. Okay, all right. So, so this is a... Oh, go ahead. So I can use an element that's plus two of my party's CL, so I can use a CL-12... Yes, indeed. It seems that the highest CL element we are allowed to use here for our CL 10 party, at least according to the niche, should not exceed CL 12. OK, so I'm so it sounds like our boss character for this combat is going to be a CL 12. That's I think that's yeah, good hunch. Good hunch. Let's just write that down. CL 12 bust. And looking at the chart here, that costs us twenty four hundred of our nine thousand XP budget. Now, Sam, I was kind of thinking uh, some Clone Wars era stuff here. So how about he's backed up by two super battle droid squads? Those are CL5, so they're 1,000 XP apiece. Okay, I like that. Yeah, 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 you know. Better than fucking normal battle droid mooks. Seriously, come <laughs> this on. This guy's do... backed by money is what I'm hearing. This is, this oh, is yeah, a... I think he's got some cash. Uh, actually, Sam, you found something interesting on the week earlier today that, that I did not know about that I think we should include. Could you remind me what that was? Was it the uh, dwarf spider droid? It was the advanced dwarf spider droid. Oh, how could I forget the advanced dwarf spider droid? <laughs> I, what the hell's the difference? I it's it's advanced. It's it's way better. <laughs> uh, this thing looks cool. It looks like some art station shit, and it's I I just I happen to like it. it looks not. It looks like if the cis like armor was actually, like, built to last, you know? It looks like as if, if the Sis had oh, a real yeah. shot oh, yeah. at, at taking on the Republic. I like it. it. It seems nice. And plus, I don't know, I've kind of been in, like, a ghost-in-the-shell mood lately, and this thing reminds me of uh, whatever those fucking tanks are called. Yeah, the normal dwarf spiders look so fucking... Like, you could just chop them in half, and they look like 3D platformer enemies, you know? <laughs> like, oh, no, please don't cut me in half with your lightsaber. No! I'm just a little guy. And they look like sci-fi Banjo-Kazooie enemies, you know? Like, <laughs> You're so right. So we'll go for the cool, like, alien-inspired looking advanced dwarf spider droid. Yeah, yeah. So cool. This guy, our CL-12 boss so far is backed up by two super battle droid squads and an advanced dwarf spider droid. This, this is a real boss fight here. I like this a lot. Okay. Now, another aside here, uh, the niche for us has a small note on vehicles. This is actually one of the more intriguing sections of this guide. I use it a lot because my players are always in vehicle combat, almost constantly. So let's get into it. The niche says, 
Vehicles, especially starships in Star Wars, can seriously alter the effective threat of an enemy. If you're on foot, a foe in a speeder is much more dangerous than the same foe out of that speeder. On the other hand, if you're in an X-Wing fighter, the same foe in that speeder is hardly any threat at all. How do we account for this discrepancy? It's a little complicated, but if you do it well and do it right, you only have to do it once. Just like so many things in life. So, for determining the CL of foes in vehicle combat, the party gets a vehicle difficulty modifier, or VDM, which is determined by the following formula. The ship's CL minus the crew quality modifier, divided by 2, then rounded down. The crew quality is listed on the vehicle's stat block. For example, skilled is a plus 1 modifier. There's a chart where you can see the rest of these modifiers on Nietzsche's guide. A party with four players that are all in X-Wings is going to be 10, that's the CL of an X-Wing, minus 1, that's the crew quality modifier, gets you 9, divided by 2, rounded down, is 4. Your VDM is 4. Okay, what do I do with a VDM then, Stephen? Glad you asked. You take that VDM, 4, and you subtract 4 from each enemy's CL before purchasing them from the element's cost table. For example... A TIE fighter has a CL of 7 and an encounter budget cost of 1400 However, against the Rebel Party described earlier, the CL of the TIE fighter is reduced by their VDM of 4, giving each TIE fighter a final CL of 3 and an encounter budget cost of 600 XP. Is this making oh, sense, Sam? Yeah, so cause, because a TIE fighter, you know, as we've seen in Star Wars media, a TIE fighter to a ground troop, that is tough. Devastating. A TIE fighter... To a league of rebels in X-Wings, not so Nothing. Tough. They are the mooks of mooks, reflected by their new CL of three, I think. When calculating VDM when the party is in a mix of ships, use the average starship quality. An example of this is given in Nietzsche's Guide, so I won't get into it. It's only a little bit more complicated than finding the normal VDM, but you'll be fine. And if this seems like a lot to do at the table, you're right, it is. You should not be doing this at the table at all. As part of your prep, you know, <laughs> guys, well, sorry, let me get my protractor out. I need to calculate uh, VDM. Uh, <laughs> There's no good reason to be doing algebra at the table. And don't ever say the word VDM to your players. They, their eyes will roll back in their skull and they'll start foaming at the mouth. If you know what vehicle your party will be using in the counter, and dear God, I hope you do. It's easy to calculate their VDM once and then write it down, keep it in memory. Most of you out there, your party probably has a freighter, a ship that they live and work out of. Just figure out the VDM for that freighter and bam, you're building encounters like no one's problem. Luckily, our encounter has no vehicles, so we'll just move right on. Before we move on, Stephen, let's yeah. just look back. So what is our current XP total that we've taken versus our allotted budget for this encounter? Glad you asked. So... For our enemies, like our actual enemies, remember we described in elements are enemies, hazards, and skill challenges, pretty much anything the party has to overcome. We've spent 5,600 of our 9,000 XP on this encounter. So that's about half of the budget, uh, actually a bit more than half, closer to two-thirds, has been spent on just the guys themselves, the actual and physical enemies the party will be fighting. Since I've, you know, been around the block a few times with this method, I've used these encounter building rules quite a bit in a in a mainline campaign with my good friends. That two-third rule for enemies versus everything else seems to be the sweet spot when it comes to a nice, populous, challenging encounter. 
But if you find a different equation that you think works better for you, please do that. And also let me know because I'm always interested in new and cool ways to build an encounter. This also gives us plenty of room for hazards and skill challenges, which if some of you are remembering echoes of our encounter building checklist, you will see those same principles and philosophy are reflected quite well in the Nietzsche's guide here. Our encounter building checklist that we talked about 40 episodes ago, Stephen. <laughs> You, yeah, mean that actually, one? you mean that encounter building checklist? Maybe it's time to review the encounter building checklist just a little bit. Just a cursory glance, maybe. The encounter design checklist has, what is it, 10 elements to it. The rule of six, place all your enemies at least six squares away from each other. Use a large area. Swissy is a very ranged, emphasized, and fast-moving system. You want at least a 30 by 30 or somewhere in that neighborhood. Good place to start. Use cover. You need cover in your encounter. You just do. The balance of the game is, you know, expecting cover. Concealment, a nice, cozy hiding place. I never put anything in an encounter that I wouldn't put in a nice, you know, little terrarium for a small creature, perhaps as a lizard or, or a fish. You want concealment. You need a place for them to hide. Players and small animals alike feel unsafe if they don't have somewhere to hide. You need difficult terrain. Easy, just easy fucking method of just making an encounter. That much harder. Just slap it down. Broken pieces of sidewalk. Uh, bits and bops spilled on the ground. Swampy Marsh. Swampy Marsh. Come on, who could forget Swampy Marsh? You need doors, just not as a narrative tool, but also as a game mastering tool to give your players one, either a way out or you to dump more enemies in if an encounter goes too easy. Hazards? Come on. What, what more could we say about hazards? If you listen to the show, you know about hazards. If enemies are the bread and butter of Swissy, then hazards and skill challenges are like the salt and pepper. Like, you can't mm, be without them. Mm, I was going to say cheese. <laughs> the cheese, the ham and cheese of Swissy. Because, <laughs> like, you can have bread and butter on itself, but once you put ham and cheese in there, baby, you got yourself a whole oh. encounter sandwich. Oh. We got to like, stop with these food metaphors, Stephen. Melt I don't know it on the stove with. a little bit, make a nice melt out of it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, you need hazards. You need skill challenges. They're, they take up, like, half of the damn character sheet. Why aren't you using skills? Use skills, elevation, and then the 10th bonus point of the encounter design checklist, enemy diversity. Mix up. You need ranged and melee enemies in pretty much every encounter. It's just that it feels better. Get a droid in there. Get a fucking vehicle in there. Get a speeder bike. You know how much, you know what a speeder bike does for an encounter? It 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 changes everything. It does. It, ch it changes fucking everything. <laughs> <laughs> just with the amount, like, you know, a sidebar, sidebar, Steven. We had a, a one-shot I, I, I ran. It was a Clone Wars, you know, themed one-shot where you guys were hunting down a bounty hunter who had kidnapped the Padawan. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. The bartender you're trying to get information from drove through the window of his bar yeah! on a speeder. And, you know, speeders have a speed of 12. A speed of 12. Players don't have that sort of speed. So <laughs> it's hard to catch up to it. He barely got out of the plaza, almost got away. I think some some force magics were uh, afoot there and oh, yeah. <laughs> helped uh, <laughs> help keep him in place. But it was a memorable encounter. It was. I still remember that encounter to this day. I'll never forget the feeling of this, you know, sketchy bartender throttling his speeder bike through the window. It was <laughs> it was the last thing I expected him to do. <laughs> Great. And so that brings us to step number five on the Nietzsche's encounter building guide skill challenges. So. The Nietzsche. I believe this guide was made well before we had codified skill challenges in Saga Edition. 
the niche here lays out a pretty nice set of rules based on CL to build your own skill challenge. They're not quite as nice as the official skill challenge rules. I still stick to the, like, was that Galaxy of Intrigue skill challenge rules? I believe so, yeah. But if you need a quick and dirty skill challenge here based on CL, you've got it. So I, I made one up here. I'd say, let's say the Cis Mercenary Snox has poisoned the water treatment plant on Tagrid 4. A hero must use their knowledge and use computer skills to stymie the flow of poison into the moon's water supply. That's good. That's good, Steven. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted this to be a CL8 skill challenge. That just kind of felt right, also based on, you know, what, what we had left in the budget, so to speak. And then I looked down at the circumstances and CL modifier section of the Nietzsche's table here on page four of his guide. It says here, if you want your skill challenge to require two successes, which I do, it's, you know, not very fun otherwise, bump that CL and that skill challenge up by one. So now we're at a CL9 skill challenge. That has a skill check DC of 20, according to our little chart here. So I wrote down two skill challenges here. DC 20 life sciences check to identify the strain of poison that Snox has used. And then another DC 20 use computer check to counter Snox's computer slicing spike and to filter out the impurities. So we now have a CL9 skill challenge, which if we go back to our element cost table, that's going to run us 1800 XP. So we're getting up there, Sam. We're getting up there. We're now at, let's see, that is a 7,400 XP of our 9,000 budget. We're almost there. All right. What else can we throw? So we got, you know, we mentioned skill challenges. We got enemies. We got squad units. Let's throw uh, some hazards in there. Okay. All right. So the niche, as I've, you know, uh, the niche-ster, as, as his friends call him. <laughs> I hope not. not. <laughs> For his sake, I hope no one calls him the niche-ster. Because that just sounds gross. Since this was made so early in Swissy's development, there's also kind of a really nice, simple, easy enough to do at the table, CL-based hazard builder baked right here onto the side of the page. It's really cool. I really like it. You should use it, especially if you need a quick and dirty hazard for your party. It's just CL, attack modifier, damage. Bam, that's your hazard. Flavor is up to you. You know me, Sam. You know me, listener. I'm of the belief that every hazard that's worth making has been made. I love to just pick them up right off the shelf and just drop them right into my games. Our good friend the niche here says that you can totally do that. You can just take a normal hazard from the book, throw it right in here. It works with the encounter building system. Hallelujah. I'll say Snox has busted several important pipes in this water treatment facility, spilling paralyzing Oba gas around the arena. Everyone knows about Oba gas, even your grandma. CL6 hazard with keywords atmosphere and poison. The trigger is that a creature is exposed to Oba. It's a plus eight attack versus fortitude defense. Damage is 2d12 with a minus one persistent step on the condition track and a half damage on miss. It recurs each round at the start of the target's turn as long as the target remains exposed to Oba. Should you have Oba gas blanketing the whole encounter? Maybe. That sounds fucking awesome. That's hard as so, shit. This is interesting, Steven, because huh. I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but Snox, we've decided, has, is an obese outlaw. Oh, yes. Yes, he is. Since he is an obese, he has a built-in gas mask that pre ah. protects him from atmospheric hazards. And similarly, his droid friends are all also immune to atmospheric hazards. Perhaps Snox was smarter than both you and I gave him credit for with a name like Snox <laughs> and busted these pipes intentionally. You know, 
He's a pretty cunning guy. So Oba gas is a CL6 hazard. We look at our chart yet again. We see that a CL6 hazard is going to run us 1200 XP. That brings our final cost of this encounter up to 8600 out of 9000 XP. Sam, the niche says we can either throw out our extra points or buy a couple little guys to make up the difference. What do you think we should do? Let's let's buy a couple little guys, Steven. It doesn't make sense not to. Come on. Okay, Every encounter right. can be improved by a little guy. Jabba's Jabba's palace without the little like salacious bee crumb. You, oh. How how and frog how, dog. Don't forget how much frog less dog. terrifying would Jabba's palace be without those characters? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking seriously. If Star okay. Wars has shown me anything is that everything is improved by having a little guy. Babu Freak improves every piece of media he's in just by oh, being a little guy. It's completely true. Alrighty. Uh, how about two Minox? Those are both CL1. That'll give us 400 XP to take us up to 9,000. These are like Snox pet Minox or yeah, something? Yeah, Snox Snox, you know? <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> That's great. And you know, yeah, right. a CL1 enemy is literally like less than a road bump in this encounter. It's a CL10 encounter or so. Doesn't even matter that they're here. Could the Minox even survive the gas? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Let's see. They live in a vacuum, so maybe they they can. Let's see. Let's take a look at Minox. You know, I'm not seeing anything that indicates that they would be immune to the gas. They. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, here it is. Uh, abilities. Space dwelling. Minox are silicon based life forms that take no damage from exposure to vacuum. However, they take the same damage from being in a planetary atmosphere that ordinary life forms take from being in a vacuum. So Minox can't actually be here at all. We'll just say they're sewer bats. Yeah, we can reskin them as sewer bats. How's that sound? Yeah, remove the space dwelling attribute. Yeah, there's there's sewer bats. You know, everyone knows those damn sewer bats from Tagrid 4. They don't have the space dwelling trait. And let's say that because they're so gross and sewery, they can survive Oba gas. Or maybe they there don't and they just die on the floor. Either one. You're, it's your table. My my sewer bed friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, snocks. Cool. So that's our encounter. We've got Oba gas. We've got a pretty cool skill challenge. We've got a CL12 beefy boss, just such a strong guy. God, look at his muscles. Two squads of super battle droids. Those are 1,000 XP apiece. One ADSD advanced dwarf spider droid. That's 1,200 XP. We are set. Oh, and don't forget the sewer bats. Sam, I'm kind of in the mood here to take a little break, and then uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back at it. Well, really quick, Steven, I want to mention that Nietzsche's encounter design sheet. What it was, is that what it's called? This is entitled Building Encounters by XP Budget in Saga Edition by John The Nietzsche Roby, revised 925-2008. All right, so The Nietzsche is Building Encounters by Budget Sheet. And the, uh, I believe it was the Order 66 uh, Encounter Design Checklist, right? Yes. These things, I like the idea of this, because this sheet that we're going over today is to help you populate your encounter. Whereas... You can use the encounter design checklist to help, like, organize your encounter and space it out and stuff like that. I like that these can be used hand in hand pretty easily. They don't really, like, contradict each other or anything like that. No, they're really, really aligned on their philosophy for encounter design in Saga Edition, which is so cool because they're both from so early in Saga Edition's lifespan and have stood the test of time. 
I mean, those two documents are my guiding principles for playing Saga Edition, and I have a great time when I play Saga Edition. I don't know about you, Sam. I do. I mean, especially when you're my game master, Steven. Oh, come on. We're getting too mushy for the listeners, Steven. We better go let them have their break from us. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we thank everyone for their support, particularly our patrons. Without you guys, without all of you, this show wouldn't be worth doing at all. It would be a waste of my fucking time. Without the patrons... Is that what it was when we started? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only liked being here when I got attention and money for doing it. <laughs> no, it simply wouldn't be possible without the financial contributions of the patrons. Running a podcast costs money. Who would have known? Who would have thunk? I didn't know. We have hosting costs. We have... That's that's really it, honestly. We <laughs> <laughs> And the cost for our time and effort put into this show every week. Like, as we've said before... About 10 hours each, each, probably, of putting through this show. Not to mention that merchandise, too, costs a bit. Let's hear a little bit more about that merchandise from Sam. We got an amazing email saying that both John W. and Trevor C. are going to be getting their patron-exclusive merchandise. Congrats to you both. Maybe you're going to be having it as as listening to this episode. Who knows? I, I hope so. I mean, it was a cool email to get. I didn't even know we would get an email about patrons getting their merch, but please, if you do reach out with a photo, I want to see you in your Dark Times t-shirt. I want to see what you put your water bottle with your Dark Times sticker on it. Maybe you put it on your kid's head or a stop sign. <laughs> so anything, really. I recently, it's so funny. We get an email when they're going to get their merch, but we didn't get any email when we got the samples <laughs> for the true. merch. Yeah, we had to like, I had to reach out and ask like, hey, where is our sample merch? And they're like, oh, sorry, we're right, get right on it, sir. Uh, I've got the t-shirt, by the way. It's not bad. I like uh, it. It's a high I quality it. t-shirt. It's good. We made some adjustments to the print once we saw your t-shirt. And I think yeah, you guys just will to be finalize a, just a little, little adjustments here. Took a black outline off, you know, stuff like that. I've learned a lot about t-shirts ever since we started offering t-shirts to our, our patrons. And the and the, the three months of, <laughs> of offering t-shirts from Patreon. You've seen the sticker, right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen the sticker. We got one here at, at my house. It looks sharp as hell. I really That's like it. Awesome. It's awesome. I, nice. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait it's to like, see it's it. It's not too glossy. It's not too matte. You know, the colors really pop on it. The The shape is cool. It's that nice little hexagon uh, D20 logo. I I love it. It's got the Twitter handle on it, too. It's it's subtle, you know? I, I don't like when, when they do stickers with such a huge logo with, like, the text right in the middle and stuff. Oh, no, you're right. It's... It's big, bold, lets the logo speak for itself. And then, hey, if you like what you see, there's a little, you know, handle, Twitter handle, whatever you call it right there on the side. Well, that's awesome. Oh, Stephen, we also got a new patron, Aaron B. Special thanks to Aaron B. Thank you, my good friend, for joining the $10 Padawan Learner tier. You're on your way to a T-shirt and a sticker. Don't forget you guys are entitled to stickers. We will get that sorted out as soon as Patreon's backend lets us add the sticker to the tier. We are just waiting on them to fix their damn website. Last but not least, if you want to support the show and aren't too keen on the idea of the Patreon for whatever reason, times are tough, money's tight, I totally get it. Shout out the show to your friends, to your players on subreddit. We see people who ask a question on Reddit. Someone else comes in and links our show. It blows my mind every time it happens. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm reference material, mom. Look, I've made it. <laughs> Look, mom, I'm reference material. And yeah, all in all, just write into the show. Say hello. Rate the show on Spotify or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever the frick frack it's called now. We'll shout you out on the show if you do. Tell us you told a friend and we'll tell you that we're real grateful to have your support. 
on the show, we'll say that. Yeah, on the show is, is where it'll we'll still say get that. a shout out. Don't worry, no, it'll yeah, be a personal yeah. email. Thanks, we appreciate it. <laughs> I was a patron for the Dark Times podcast, and all I got was the stupid T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get you guys back to the action. Hey, welcome back to the show. Did you enjoy the break? Did you get up? You drink some water? You know, get yourself some lemonade. Go use the bathroom. I don't know what people do during the breaks of podcasts. Do they listen to the show? Do we do we just talk into the void for uh, two minutes, Steven? Is that how it works? I always think of that guy who's probably still listening, working at that brewery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what you think of. Shout out. I, saw, I always think of him. Yeah. Shout out to brewery guy. I hope you're still listening. Let me know if you are. <laughs> That's great. Steven, I, I thought since we decided, since we made an encounter, a pretty cool encounter, by the way. Thank you. You know, let's let's look at it one more time. We've got a... A outlaw backed by separatists with a couple battle droid squads uh, taking over a uh, water refinery plant on a moon, poisoning the water, all that cool stuff. I like this. It's a great adventure. It'd be great for a one shot. I can see the Jedi Knights sending out like a couple people to go handle this stuff. It'd be super cool. Seriously, it feels like a Clone Wars episode. I love it. And we talked about this before. I love the Clone Wars stuff because it, it's since it's so episodic, it's great for one shot material. So good. Oh, yeah. So since we made an encounter, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll make the our, our snocks. I'll make snocks. So I've made snocks, Ubis Outlaw, CL12, Soldier 1, Scout 1, Scoundrel five, outlaw five. Oh, I see. Um, you got you got a little excited with the heroic classes here. Well, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, what what the fuck, Sam? Why so many classes? And I'm like, well, apparently the prerequisites for outlaw require at least one level in scout and scoundrel, as it needs the stealth and survival skills trained. Survival being a scout only class skill, and one talent in at least the Disgrace or Misfortune talent tree. Disgrace is a noble talent tree. Uh, I chose the Misfortune talent tree because I felt Scoundrel really fit our Ubis character here. Is it Ubis? I, oh, yeah. Is that how you say it? I've never actually thought U- about Ubis. it. Ubis. Okay. Ubis. I've been saying like yeah. Obese, but ooh. Obese? <laughs> <laughs> Ubis. No, Ubis. Okay. Like Ubis. Yeah, Ubis nuts. Uh, sorry. But as an Ubis, Snox gets the following abilities. Aggressive. If an Ubis hits with a charge attack, the plus two bonus on attack rolls against the target persists for the duration of the encounter. That's pretty cool. Would you rule it? I like that. Would you rule that this stacks with each target or no? Um, probably not. Like bonuses don't stack, right? No, no, no. So, because it's, it's per target. So if I hit the Jedi with it oh, and then I hit the Noble yeah. with it, do I have plus two on attacks against both of them for the rest of the encounter? Uh, oh yeah, totally. Like hundred percent. That is exactly oh. how this works. I, 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 I won't accept cool. any, any arguments otherwise, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's pretty clear. That's, that's good. That's really nice. Ubis also get a conditional bonus feat for skill focused perception. If they're trained in perception, which is pretty nice to have. They've got the survival instinct ability, which means they can reroll survival checks, but the result of the reroll must be accepted, even if it's worse. And they have special equipment. Ubis cannot tolerate the atmosphere of other worlds and must rely on breath masks to survive. Without a breath mask, the Ubis begins to suffocate. When not in their homeworld, Ubis wear environmental suits to stave off the hazards found on other planets, as well as to hide their appearance. Think about Bosch when Leia's dressed as him on, on Tatooine. Yeah, that's an Ubis uh, outfit. Ubis. Ubis. <laughs> an environmental suit functions as a combat jumpsuit that also grants a plus two equipment bonus to fortitude defense. 
The suit also includes a voice modulator to emulate the voice of a male or female or to mask the Ubi's gender. Snox also has the charging fire feat, allowing Snox to make a charge attack with a ranged weapon instead. However, you do lose the bonus to attack, and I assume you're not going to get the aggressive bonus as well. And they also have the death charge feat, allowing Snox to take any swift actions, free actions, or reactions after the charge without ending their turn immediately, which is pretty good considering charge is basically like, hey, I get to move and attack as a standard action. Oh, yeah. Good, good action economy with charging, especially with death charge, because then your turn's Yeah, basically. It's great. Not like you're going to have any other standard actions to use after the charge anyway. It's nice to let you use the swift actions. Oh, yeah. It keeps you flexible. Uh, They also have the make an example talent. I believe this is from the revolutionary talent tree. Let me just triple check really quick. I was right, baby. Galaxy of Intrigue, revolutionary talent tree. Make an example says, Nice. Whenever you hit with an attack and deal enough damage to exceed a target's damage threshold, that target takes a minus five penalty to attack rolls against you until the end of your turn. This is a mind-affecting effect. We've also got Trick Step from the Recklessness Talent Tree, which as a swift action, you can make an initiative check, opposed by the initiative check of an enemy within your line of sight. If your check result equals or exceeds the target's check, the target's considered flat-footed against the next attack you make before the end of your turn. If the target's check is higher, you are considered flat-footed against the next attack made by the target before the start of your next turn. That's great. This is... I know what you're thinking, Steven. You're seeing this and you're like, wait a minute. I've heard this. I've heard this talent before. I know what this is for. Yeah. Maybe I'm dabbling in the little CT killer uh, factory, you know? We're taking a little, we're, we're, we're touching it. I'm getting my hands dirty. I'm diving in to the, I'm to the (laughs) CT killer mines and I'm fishing out with one in my mouth, you know, like crawling, walking up on the beach. (laughs) Well, what a lot of metaphors in this episode. (laughs) Uh, like poetry it rhymes snacks snacks that's his brother snacks snocks also has the dastardly strike uh talent from the misfortune talent tree whenever you make a successful attack against an opponent that is denied its dexterity bonus to reflex defense like when being flat-footed the target moves one step down the condition track this talent can be used only against characters not objects or vehicles and then from the outlaw talent trees, we've got Uncanny Instincts, which is once per round whenever an opponent successfully deals damage to you. You can move one square as a reaction. This movement does not provoke an attack of opportunity. That's good. Just for good movement. Keep your keep your uh, keep your head up, kid. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> Get a help with tempo, I guess. Is that, That's what they say in chess terms. Yeah, tempo. We've also got the Tangle Up talent from the outlaw talent tree. The prerequisite being Uncanny Instincts. This is really why we took Uncanny Instincts. As a standard action, you can make a non-area attack melee or ranged attack against an opponent within range. If the attack hits, you deal half your normal damage, minimum one point, but your opponent loses its next move action. This is great for keeping people in poison clouds. They can't leave, right? That's the whole point, baby. Especially if you got to keep charging them. Keeping them still is a great way to... uh, Either they, they lose their attack or they move out of that poison cloud and out of your charging range. It's an excellent position to put a player in because they feel smart no matter what they choose, even if it's a bad idea. We're looking at this with Dastardly Strike on the minus one step on the condition track paired with the Oba Gas going down a step on the condition track. That's two steps down the condition track and with more to come. Come on. Like, this is Yo, great. Did, did you just make synergy with a between a boss and an environmental hazard? Uh, that's called like a that's called a boss effect. I believe they call them layer effects in fifth edition D&D. Jesus Christ, shut the fuck up. I bet up. Pathfinder 2E has layer effects also or something like that. No, no, what you did was you just combined two discrepant areas of the <laughs> encounter into one potent thing. It doesn't I don't care what it's called. I'm saying what you did was smart. Well, thank you, Steven. I really appreciate it. And I know 
our listeners are going to appreciate it as I'm putting the build in the description as we speak, Stephen. I, did you know that we record these live, listener? Oh, yeah, we do. This is all this live, is live baby. right now. coming at you. Stephen and I have to reboot up our microphones and computers and re-record the episode every time someone clicks play on Spotify. It's, it's exhausting, <laughs> which is why we really need those Patreon dollars, folks. <laughs> When I was a kid, I like to imagine that there was a little tiny band inside my iPod shuffle that had to play whatever song I was listening to. You like to imagine this or you thought that was the case? No, I like to imagine (laughs) it. I was not. I was I was like 10 when I had a shuffle. I did. I knew that wasn't the case. Well, all right, Sam, that was excellent build. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen, I was wondering if you had any trivia for us this week. I actually do. And it's a it's a good one. It's a really good one. I'm ready. I'm I'm strapped down. I'm buckled in. Let's do it. All right, don't get too excited. The <laughs> the uh, I was uh, you know I was hanging out and I learned I was on Reddit and I read what someone had wrote whoa, about whoa, whoa. this. You uh, learned something on Reddit? Yeah, first time ever. About I learned about a canceled Star Wars Legends novel that would have made Earth like our Earth canon. What in 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 the Star Wars continuity? Yeah. Yeah, so here, here's some bullet points from, from the OP. This was Reddit user Otherwise Elephant on r slash Star Wars. I'm sure many of you saw this, but uh, for those who didn't, it would have confirmed that humans in Star Wars originate from Earth. In fact, some humans fall into a wormhole that transports them through space and time, so they are literally in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It would have not only connected Earth to Star Wars, but also two of Lucas's previous movies, the humans fleeing Earth are trying to escape the dystopian government of THX 1138, and the protagonist Cosmo no. Hender is implied to be a descendant of Kurt Hender from American Graffiti. No, they can't. It's not a long time ago or a galaxy far, far away. When did that movie come out? <laughs> uh, the, the 60s. <laughs> if you mean American Graffiti. I did, I did. That's a coming-of-age movie about teens and cars. <laughs> We could, they could have just reskinned it and made it Star Wars. They don't have to be the actual American Graffiti movie. It's literally the American Graffiti kid. <laughs> That's descendant. so funny. Oh, I'm so glad. It would have explained that the Huts are actually the larval stage of aliens called Varlians. And the reason the Huts are so immature and selfish is because they are literally overgrown children. I don't think you get that much power in a Legends book. You don't, you're not allowed. L- Lucas would be like, no, you can't do that. Like, come on. <laughs> Come on, dude. It would have been loosely based on the biblical book of Exodus, hence the name Alien Exodus. Yeah, with 12 tribes of aliens and humans being kept as slaves by the Varlians slash Huts. Holy shit. Including races like... (laughs) Star Wars Israelites? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) including races like Kidonax, which is surprising because the species has appeared in the background as part of the band in Jabba's palace, but not much else. The naming is incredibly on the nose. The ancestor of Luke gets his name Skywalker when people see him using the force to levitate. And an ancestor of Han Solo pilots the Century Eagle instead of the Millennium Falcon. I love the idea that Shmi's ancestor, because that's where it, I mean, I guess I guess <laughs> yeah. this wasn't around. This wasn't prequel era Legends book, was it? Yeah, we know about Shmi back <laughs> in the Alien Exodus days. Where's my Alien Exodus one shot? Come on, let's get it done, guys. Let's do it. Fuck. Very Star Trek for like, you know, God, oh, we're on. We're on San Francisco, 1983. <laughs> Fuck me, man. That's so funny. That's that's really Ugh. thank you for that trivia, Steven. That was a laugh. Of course, that was the that was the, the meatiest trivia I had come across in. 
in a while. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to the Dark Times podcast. The show's produced and edited by me, Sam. Stephen's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Join the Patreon with the support the show link in the description. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcasts, wherever you listen to your shows. Uh, Stephen, do you have a quote for us this week? I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's a good one. I like that one. Thank you. It's classic. Yeah, that's, that's also from the book of Exodus, actually. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exodus 2310 Mo- Moses or says that to, to the Pharaoh, I believe. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. All right, let's see if I can figure out how to do an audition export. Your faith in Christianity that has not restored your people. <laughs> Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Pharaoh. Fucking hell. Wait, Ramses. Ah, oh, biblical humor. <laughs>